Well, the last half hour, we were talking about whale sharks and their migration patterns, the way they move around. Uh, we often think of animals roaming the wild, of course, but how do they roam? And how much would knowing more about their movements between protected areas help us both to measure and protect their biodiversity? Well, that's the thinking behind a first-of-its-kind global map of animal movement between protected areas, the places mammals are most likely to move from, say, national parks to nature reserves. And the work was led by a Canadian researcher who joins me now. Angela Brennan is the research associate at the UBC Institute for Resources, Environment, and Sustainability. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So this is really, I mean, it's, it was, I was reading through all the different stuff that's been written about it. It's, it's a really fascinating, um, fascinating thing that you've done. And I'm just wondering, where did the hypothesis come from that this needed to be done and hadn't been done yet? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, I, I was working with, with five, five other amazing researchers on this work. And, and our goal was to, uh, map and measure the connectivity of the world's protected areas from the viewpoint of moving mammals. And, and just really briefly, what I mean by connectivity is the degree that the landscape accommodates animal movement. So connected landscapes allow animals to move to access resources and, and then genes can flow. And, uh, and that's all just really important for species persistence and healthy ecosystems. But the thing is, is, we're losing connectivity and, and um, we're losing biodiversity. Um, landscapes are becoming more disconnected because of rapid, rapid habitat loss and degradation. And uh, protected areas like our national parks and our provincial parks, they're, they're at risk of becoming surrounded by inaccessible human-dominated land. And that affects biodiversity. And it affects all of us who enjoy our national parks and provincial parks. So, yeah, from all of that, our, our goal was to measure uh, protected area connectivity and map the flow of, of mammal movement between them. And how did you do that? Uh, yeah, so um, to do this, we used data from a previous study that showed that mammal movement declined with increasing human pressures on the environment. And then we measured connectivity using a well-established method that relates the flow of animal mo animals moving across a heterogeneous landscape to the flow of electrical current across a circuit. It, it sounds wow. futuristic, but it's been shown to match really well with observed animal movements and gene flow. I, I noticed you used the term permeable, um, sort of allowing water to flow, which is, I guess we don't think of animal movements that way when we build around them or sort of take over or change the landscape, so to speak, we don't often think of how it alters the way animals move between protected areas, but obviously it has a huge impact. Yeah, it has a really big impact. I like the analogy of water because it kind of pictures how it can change the flow of, of animal movement really well. So, you know, if you have a river that's flowing freely, it's, it's unencumbered. It can move freely from source to destination. But as soon as you start adding in debris, that flow becomes challenged and channeled. And, um, you know, there's, there's fewer areas for that water to flow. And if you add enough debris, you can actually block the flow. And that's the kind of thing that, that we don't want to happen. 
So what did you find in terms of, of, of just how, how mammals are moving between these protected areas? And did anything surprise you about what you learned early on? Well, there were two main takeaways uh, or two main outcomes of the research. First, we were able to develop a metric that reflects how connected protected areas are from the viewpoint of moving mammals. And using this uh, metric can empower nations to, to visualize and measure the ability of animals to, to move between protected areas. And then they can track progress over time and compare how countries are, are performing relative to one another. So that's really important. And then the second outcome was that we mapped the flow of mammal movement between protected areas. And from that, we identified the world's most critical areas for connectivity and found that two-thirds of those areas are currently unprotected and nearly a quarter are both unprotected and at risk of future agricultural development. So that's, that's, an, that's an astounding number. Are you talking mammals of all sizes here? Is that from, from all creatures great and small? No, uh, the data that we relied on were from medium to large mammals. So it included okay. uh, data from about 600 individuals from roughly 50 species of mammals. Right, would make more sense. Um, so knowing what we know, uh, knowing what you found out, um, what then? I mean, it, obviously this is, should act as a guide to some extent, right? But is it, um, what, what, what could be done, in other words, to try and uh, make sure that, that, that these, uh, these areas aren't further eroded, or at least these movements aren't further impeded? Yeah, there's, you know, there's, um, I, I guess, first of all, from our, from our study, we show that mitigating human pressures is really important to improving connectivity. And there's, there's a lot of options and opportunities for doing that, that kind of thing. Um, and, and some of those options include like retaining natural habitats within agricultural areas, removing fences, uh, restoring greenways and other stepping stones between parks, and really thinking hard about our land use planning and um, our suburban sprawl. Because for the time being, obviously, what you're seeing is that that's not what's, that's not what's happening. Um, are there any areas that, that stood out as being best practice that other areas can can look to? I know there was a ranking where I gather Greenland was finished first, Canada was there too. But those are areas that are perhaps not uh, not not atypical. But is there were there best practices out there for, for that people could follow? Well, yeah, to get to this ranking, um, so the. This, um, this ranking is based on that metric that I me mentioned that, that was developed to highlight how uh, connectivity of protected areas for mammals is affected by human pressures on the environment. Um, and uh, so Canada ranked number three. And that means that on average, Canada's protected areas are surrounded by a lower degree of human footprint on average. Uh, so the landscape overall is more intact but this is this is an average measure so it doesn't mean that all of canada's protected areas are, are well connected and we know that many of canada's protected areas occur in developed landscapes that can be more difficult for medium to large mammals to move through so canada is a is a, is a best case using this or a, a good case but it doesn't explain everything 
Just for for example, if we're trying to picture what this movement might look like in a place where it's been impeded, say in Canada, what would that look like? What what does a good scenario look like in Canada and a not so good scenario according to this map that you've created? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, like like I said, Canada so far, relative to other countries across across the globe, it is doing doing well. Um, improving connectivity in the mainly in the southern portion of the country where um, the greatest portion of the population resides and we have the most um, uh, development occurring. Uh, those are the areas where uh, connectivity is, um, the protected areas are less connected. And those are places like where, you know, thinking about these options for improving connectivity, um, I think are really important. And, you know, it, from the map of, of mammal movement between protected areas, we can see that some areas in Canada really pop out as, as being critical to connectivity. And those are areas like the Yellowstone, the Yukon region. So from Yellowstone National Park all the way up to the Yukon, it kind of follows um, a large portion or the, follows the Rocky Mountain Range. And then there's also the um, a quarter from... Um, the coastal mountains to the North Cascades and Washington state. So those areas in Canada really pop out as being areas that are important for protected area connectivity across North America. And the connectivity is relatively good, decent at least. Right. We still have, um, we have um, natural areas where mammals can flow in those areas, but you know, like, some regions of the, the coastal and Cascade Mountains, they're, they're missing some of the key mammals that used to be there. And so improving connectivity through that region could help, um, help create linkages between populations so that animals can move from one area to another. And, and just so listeners, is, is there an example, say a well-known example of, an, of, of a movement, an area of movement that would be, that would be significant, that would be under threat right now? Perhaps not in Canada, but just in general. That would be under threat right now. Or, well, I mean, there's just, there's yeah. ma- many reasons. Um, you know, one area that popped out in our study is is parts of southern Africa where you have areas that are key for connectivity that are overlapping with areas of um, moderate to high human modification. So those are areas that, that need um, some focus because uh, they're more of a timely concern. You know, like if, if you lose those, those linkages, um, connectivity is at a greater risk in the region. My guest this half hour is Angela Brennan. She's a research associate at the UBC Institute for Resources, Environment, and Sustainability. We're talking about a, a first-of-its-kind uh, map that tracks mammal movement between protected areas. In other words, when 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 there's movement between, you know, basically animal movement between areas, mammal movement between areas where they need to be or and, and protected areas, is there anything in their way? And is there more in their way? Is, is that being impeded? And is that connectivity being broken? And just the impact that has on biodiversity in general, if they're isolated in certain areas or can't move uh, the way they need to. When we come back, just look at a few more of the solutions that we've been talking about already. Uh, you did mention at one point something about pinch points, which is a really interesting concept. We'll talk about that after that. 
Our guest this half hour is Angela Brennan. She's a research associate at the UBC Institute for Resources, Environment, and Sustainability. We're talking about uh, the first creation of the first global map of animal movement between protected areas, which is hoped will help countries measure and protect their biodiversity. You talked a bit about this earlier, Angela, but what kind of what kind of reaction would you like to see to this? I mean, a lot of these problems are multinational problems. They cross boundaries just as the movement of the animals do. Um, how would you like to see a response to this? And what should people take away from, from this work in terms of what can be done in the short term and what needs to be done in the longer term? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. So, I guess uh, nations right now they're, they've been working on what's called the the post twenty twenty global biodiversity framework under the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity, and and they're meeting in Montreal actually in December. And the goal of this this framework is to update and revise global biodiversity conservation targets. And the strategy they agree upon will set the, the global conservation agenda for at least the ne- next decade. So protecting connectivity, it, it has been recognized as essential to reducing biodiversity loss. And there's many discussions leading up to the convention that include targets um, for connectivity. So we're really hoping that our research, our, our research presented in this paper can, can help advance some of those discussions. And, um, I, and, oh, and that sorry, metric that I just, sorry? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say in that metric that, that I mentioned earlier that, that measures um, the connectivity of protected areas, that can then be used by nations to, to monitor their, their progress towards these goals that, that are decided upon at this meeting. Yeah, what, what I was starting to say was was that I, I I don't remember connectivity often being talked about in these conversations. I'm no expert, obviously, but that you know we often talk about protecting certain areas, we, and I often think of like protected areas as as we've mentioned, whether they be national parks or or, or areas that are deemed. But we don't often think about the movement between those areas. Yeah, connectivity is um, it's growing as a as a term and a concern, and it has been for for a while, but. It takes a while for these ideas, I think, to really kind of um, reach the public. And it has been discussed at, at the level of the Co- Convention on Biological Diversity. It was at the last convention in 2010. Um, but still, despite that, um, no one until us now has been able to measure and map how protected areas are functionally connected for uh, moving mammals. So, so yeah, that's um, one reason why we wanted to do this too. Because clearly the, the impact on biodiversity and the, the isolate, if animals can't make those moves the, the, and, and are isolated, as you mentioned off the top, I mean, the impact on, on biodiversity right away would be obvious, right? So the connectivity is, it becomes that important if you, if you start to limit their ability to move in the way they're supposed to. Yeah, you know, protected areas are great uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, but many protected areas are not large enough to encompass the space needs of, of many, many species. And uh, so that's one problem. And another problem is that in order for species to persist, you have to have gene flow between populations. So if you cut off animals from, from moving between populations, you run the risk of, of having serious biodiversity loss. So I, I, I sometimes describe it like you'll end up having uh, 
islands of protected areas in a sea of, of human landscapes. And that's clearly not what we need, right? Because sometimes, sometimes if you say that in that way, people think, well, if there's an area that's protected, that's fine, right? They can live there, but that's, that's not at all how it, how it works. I'm speaking like a real non-scientist now, but that's not at all how it works. No, you know, and, and nature's uh, good for us, too. Like, we, uh, we benefit from nature in so many ways. And having nature in our backyard and having nature close to us, that's all really important. Um, and we like to go to these national parks, and we like our wildlife. And, and so ensuring that we have healthy ecosystems and, and species over the long term, that's all really important. And to do that, we have to find ways to allow them to move. As a last question, you talked a bit about this. I think it's talked about at least in, in the article that was written about it, is this idea of pinch points, sort of focusing on some key areas. Uh, what was meant by that? Yeah, so our study highlights parts of the world that are critical for protecting mammal movements between protected areas. And it also helps us identify these places where the flow of animal movement is most constricted. And we call these pinch points. So this is where there's this is like in that, that stream analogy where you've got a lot of debris and the water is being channeled through, you know, one or two small areas. Uh, so if these pinch points are lost, if you add more debris and you block them, animal movements will become blocked. In that sense, so those are the ones you'd focus on? Well, I guess we'll find out more in December. So they, it's, it's in Montreal in December. So we're working towards that, obviously, for, uh, for a new agreement on biodiversity. Right, right. Yep. That's where they're going to make some, some big decisions on the on biodiversity conservation goal. And reaction to the map so far has been good? Yeah, it's been really good. I think it's been um, really positive so far. And it was, yeah, it was a really exciting project to work on. And I worked with some really great people. So it was a, a great experience. Well, I look forward to seeing what comes next. Angela Brennan, thank you so much for explaining the map, explaining connectivity, explaining why it matters, explaining uh, how it impacts biodiversity as well. It's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.